Red Alert, all hands to battle stations. This is another episode of Random Trek, and we've got an enemy on the port bow. I am your fearless captain, Christopher Ingle, and as always, joined by my very wise first officer, Brennan the Mystical Mar. Brennan, are we ready for battle? If this were another reality, I would have called you my friend. That's very true. Mm -hmm. Today, we get the privilege the privilege of reviewing Balance of Terror, episode 14 from season one of the original series, which is by far one of my favorite episodes, not only of Star Trek, but of science fiction and television, period. Uh, and of course, coming into this, we wanted an expert for such a seminal episode of the original series. Uh, and we decided to bring back a friend of the show. Uh, he's a fleet admiral. This man, uh, of course, you'll hear him regularly on Cinephiles and the Enterprise Innocent with uh, Incident uh, with uh, our good friend Scott Mance. Uh, he is the amazing Steve Morris. Steve, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you very much for having me back, and particularly for such a great episode of TV. I think we promoted you, too. I can't remember. I think we promoted you to Fleet Admiral now. Wow. <laughs> I, you know, I, I feel like I deserve the, uh, the rank I've worked very hard in Starfleet to, to achieve it. So I'll take it. All right. But yes, we, we looking at balance of terror, I know how big an episode this was, um, the, the writing in this, the, the accolades, the, the, the reviews, everything I've ever read about this marks this as, uh, as one of the seminal episodes that are a must-see in, in Star Trek and in science fiction history. Um, uh, Steve, help us out a little bit, because I know you're, you're, you're pretty knowledgeable of this. Give us a little bit of the backstory here in terms of Balance of Terror and kind of what this is based on, and, and then we'll go into the details of the episode itself. Well, I think uh, the, some of the backstory, I'd say, is based on the, the classic submarine movies uh that happened in the 40s and 50s particularly uh run silent run deep and now my brain just do a blank on the other one that it's based the enemy on. below the enemy below thank you brennan um and 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 what i love about what they did was they incorporated sort of some of those submarine ideas of the enemy you can't see and the tactics and all of that stuff with ideas of race on the enterprise mm. with ideas of uh you know of life going on because you have this wedding that starts the episode and with just the huge amounts of responsibility that are on captain kirk and in particular i would say too that this is a cold war episode of tv i mean this is right in the middle of the cold war when we're having this you know enemy against the you know behind the iron curtain essentially with the romulans awesome yeah um my I, I i this episode to me is very special to me my father and i didn't have the best relationships growing up but uh, he raised me well and introduced me to star trek uh you know he would let me stay up on saturday nights and we would watch i think it was maybe the fifth or sixth season end of tng and he would let me watch reruns at that point when when reruns would happen but once in a great while uh, our local TV station would show episodes of the original series at five o'clock in the morning on a Saturday morning. And one, my, my dad's an early bird. And once in a while, he would come to my room at like four 15, like Chris, Chris, 
I need you to get up. Get up right now. And I thought I'm in trouble because my dad was that kind of guy. He'd wake you up like if the dishes weren't done or you didn't launch. He was a mean cuss. But three times I remember he did this. He would wake me up 5 a.m. in the morning, bring me out. And he's like, you got to see this episode of the original series. You got to watch this. You're going to love it. The very first one he ever did that for me was The Trouble with Tribbles. Mm. never forget that that was the very first full episode i had seen the movies but i had never seen the original series and so trouble of tribbles was my first episode but my second episode ever from my history loving father as well was this episode the balance of terror and he talked about the the uh comparisons to the cold war and to world war ii and submarine warfare and what that was like and and just gave me a whole history lesson in an hour as this episode was going on. And it just enthralled me despite the fact that I was half asleep, (laughs) (laughs) but I'll never forget that third one, by the way, was the cage. They showed the cage and I saw the cage. That was the third one I ever saw. And Uh, how old were you? How old were you when, when he woke you up to see this? I think I would, I had to have been in my teens. I had to have been Mm. in my teens, maybe 13, 14. Okay. That's a good age to appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, and of course, Tribbles, Tribbles, I'll never forget. I love Tribbles. Tribbles is great. It's fun. It's entertaining. It's a blast. But this was so powerful. The acting in this episode, the, and I was learning about, um, you know, World War II at the time. So maybe my, something clicked in my dad. Maybe it was just serendipitous, but him connecting to what submariners uh, were going through and during the cold war, even into the cold war, what this was like was just powerful and i'll never forget that and i am a teacher i'm looking for an excuse to show this episode one day i'm always looking for star trek episodes to show my kids uh and this is one of them this is absolutely one of them and and it just is amazing but let's get into the details of this episode uh and then we'll talk about the nitty-gritty for it uh so the enterprise as you said opens up with a wedding or what is going to be a wedding uh, because unfortunately, uh, a Federation outpost is being attacked. Um, uh, they are kind of keeping a monitor uh, monitoring it while this wedding is going on. Uh, Kirk starts to get through the ceremony, and then red alert: uh, another base is being attacked, and we are now at red alert, and everyone to battle stations. Uh, and we see this couple, you know, going off to battle stations, but uh, giving one quick embrace to each other. Uh, that's not ominous, not at all. Uh, but we head off, uh, and then when the episode fully opens, uh, we discover that this base has been beaten down by an unknown enemy. We don't know, but we do know that we are near the neutral zone and the Romulan border. And this gives us our first, uh, introduction to the Romulans and the Romulan neutral zone, uh, and kind of what the rules are set for that, that they cannot enter that under any circumstances, um, but they are patrolling the border and checking on these outposts. Uh, and to hear that they're being attacked is, is a really scary concept. Uh, so as they get to um, the, one of the stations, they manage to get in communication with them and they discovered that a weapon was fired on them, a known enemy. Um, and unfortunately, they don't make it. Uh, and this really worries them because we have uh, our... Our uh, navigator, Lieutenant Stiles, played by Paul Comey, who kind of immediately is already figuring this out. Apparently, his his ancestors, his relatives, his ancestors were in mm-hmm. the first Romulan War, which was over a hundred years ago. Uh, so he's got a natural bias against the Romulans. Um, 
they detect the ship, which is the first time we also get uh, a, a ship that is cloaked. This ship is cloaked. Uh, and they know something's there, but they know they can't see it. Spock pretty well deduces that this could be cloaking technology, but it would take up a lot of power. But manages through sensors and work to, to detect where they are. Uh, and Kirk decides to mirror their movements. Kirk decides that, you know what, we're gonna we're we're not gonna let them know we're here. We're just gonna mirror them and see what they do. And it kind of becomes this cat and mouse game at that point of are we gonna do something? Are we not gonna do something? Uh, what do we do? And and they keep keep doing this, but the Romulan commander as well is playing the exact same game and really feels that someone's out there. They know a ship's out there, a signal was sent and intercepted. There's gotta be someone out there. Uh, and it continues this this cat and mouse uh, game between the the Romulan ship and the Enterprise, uh, and it comes to a point uh, eventually where we get to see this weapon in action. The first time we get to see, uh, I think it's called the plasma bolt. I don't think they say it in the episode, but I remember playing a Star Trek video game where you could play as the Romulans, and that was one of the features: is this plasma bolt or this plasma weapon. Um, and it's described as an energy, a weapon of pure energy. And when it hits you, it's just like a big wham. Uh, it does hit the Enterprise, but the Enterprise manages to deflect enough of it. Um, but unfortunately causes uh, quite a bit of damage. Does, does quite a bit of damage. Uh, and we, we get this back and forth. Well, eventually Kirk fires weapons at it and says, you know what, we're going to fire at it. They do fire at it. They do manage to do do significant damage to it. And it's like this back and forth. Uh, well, the Romulan commander knows that we need to get home, but we can't let this stand. And so he uh, orders, while they're damaged, to release, uh, was it a nuclear uh, item or a nuclear container? They have an old nuclear warhead. Yeah, they release it in with uh with some wreckage and the body of a centurion uh that died during that attack. Uh and it, it luckily they managed to fire phasers at it at enough a distance, but it too causes damage. And this time we uh we unfortunately see what happens in uh the phaser firing room uh where our 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 not bride, our uh, a groom uh, unfortunately does not make it through this. He he uh, loses his life in this battle. Uh, eventually, the Enterprise does come out on top in victory, uh, but they manage to make full contact with the Romulan ship. Uh, and that is where Brennan's quote comes in, where the commander acknowledges Kirk. And, you know, we, we could have been friends in another life. It's another reality. Um and unfortunately results in the destruction of the Vulcan ship or Vulcan. I said Vulcan Romulan Romulan ship. Um, and the enterprise basically goes away. <laughs> and uh, I thought it was a weird, I thought they'd investigate more, but they, they kind of warp away and we leave on the, the shot of Kirk, uh, Kirk seeing the grieving uh, bride to be. And then Kirk goes off to do his job as he's walking down the corridor, kind of like, all right, you know, I've got to move on. Uh, and it's this really somber moment from Kirk. It's not a happy ending. In any way, the Enterprise won, but it lost at the same time. Mm -hmm. And it's so powerful to look at the effects of war this way. Um, 
I mean, and this is a short condensed. This is one that I highly recommend you got to watch from beginning to end. The tension that builds in this episode is so powerful and it's so good. Uh, Steve, I want to start with you. What is your favorite parts or favorite memories of this episode? That's a great question. I think uh, for me, it's it's really the battle. The core of the episode to me is the battle of wits between the two commanders. And the thing that I, what, what makes this a great episode of TV is that everything is thematically linked, is that you start with this idea that these are the enemy and you get that from Styles, and that the Romulans aren't like us, they're different. And it's interesting because we just did on the Cinephiles, we just did a live show about two Cold War movies, which is Failsafe and Seven Days in May, both of which came yep. out the same year as Dr. Strangelove. Yep. And this movie hooks, or this episode of TV, hooks right in with them, particularly Failsafe, is the idea of those people on the other side are not like us, they're evil. And the uh, that idea is what this episode is continually undermining. Because what it does, by making the two commanders so equal and with the casting of Mark Leonard making him so likable mm -hmm. and see now he's trying to do exactly what Kirk would be trying to do, which is keep his ship safe. It, it undermines that idea. It goes, Oh no, they're actually more similar. They're like us. And that final line that you quoted Brennan in another reality, I could have called you friend is what explodes that idea that the whole cold war is based on. They're different. It's like, no, they're just like us. That's what makes the episode really work for me, in addition to all the other details, which are so great. Yeah, um, I, I really love to uh, and I didn't say it in the 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 uh, uh, kind of consents here, but um, it, what I really love is the introduction of the Romulans and the choice to make the Romulans look exactly like the Vulcans, because that adds so much tension uh, with styles. And his response on the bridge, uh, his, and during that first half, his response is continuously, I'm so surprised Kirk even let him stay, because clearly he was biased. Clearly wow. there was a problem, and he should have been removed, and yet he, he kept him there, reminded him, hey, leave your biases in your quarters, not here on the bridge. We don't need this, you know? Um, but that reveal that it's you know looks just like a Vulcan, at the time, had to be mind-blowing. Now we look at it, we totally understand with the mythos and uh, the reunification of Romulus, but I think this sets off a very unintentional but wonderful long-term uh, thread line through all of Star Trek. Absolutely. Interesting that when Spock talks about the ancestry of Vulcans, he says that... Um, Vulcan civilization was savage, even by human standards. Now, we're, we as humans are capable of pretty bad stuff. Imagine what the Vulcans did mm -hmm. in their time. That mm -hmm. the Romulans continued. There was a great idea that I came across as I was watching it this time, and I thought about it. And again, this is kind of looking backwards, but I wonder if Spock looking at that image 
and making the connection about Romulans and Vulcans didn't go, huh, you know, that guy looks an awful lot like my father, even though Mark Leonard had not been cast as, as mm-hmm. Eric yet. But I wonder, again, looking backwards, I wonder if that thought in the character of Spock's mind didn't click in. Like, this guy could have been a relative, a cousin, a distant, you know, you don't know. I wonder if this moment is what sets Spock off in the end on this quest for unification. I I think there's a great pathway to be struck there. Not necessarily that he goes, hey, that Romulan commander looked like my dad. It was, yeah, yeah. I don't think it literally went that way, but that thought passes through my head. Like, it's the same actor, like, just though that kind of initial idea uh, kind of was a clever thought to what he would pursue down the line. Well, I think one way to look at Star Trek is at least at least the original series stuff is go now a lot of star trek is the evolution of the character of spock and the balance of how spock figures out how to come to his own balance between logic and emotion between his vulcan side and his human side between his duty and his friendships and all those things and the guy that we first meet as spock at the beginning of the original series and the guy that's making peace treaties with the romulans you know 100 years later that's a that's a guy who's changed a lot. Um, and, and one of the things I think is interesting is I think the way that the original series approached different races was subtly different from the way that uh, later Star Trek did, which is the way later Star Trek did it was they kind of went, well, Vulcans are logical, Klingons are warrior, warlike, mm. Ferengi are cheap. And they said, okay, and that race represents Kodasians that. Kodassians are corrupt. I'm sorry, say that again, Brendan? Cardassians are corrupt and oh, Cardassians exactly. are corrupt. Yeah, Jordan's exactly. Religious and... and so and so that they went like it's actually I don't want to say that it's racist, but it's a more like you are all like that instead mm-hmm. of saying all of these races are humans and the there exist within cultures which might be more like that, but they're really more like us. And that's what this episode's message is that no, no, the Romulans they're just like us. You know, yes, they come from a different culture, but that's the difference. And that really, even Vulcans are much more like us. And I actually think that allows you to tell stories in a different way. And some of the later stuff got limited because of the way that they framed everything. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a good point. I also love, too, that this really gives your home viewer that sense of what a lot of these uh, these sailors, these submariners are going through. A lot of them are are on that. Now, many never never saw actual conflict. It was a Cold War for a reason. There wasn't near as much conflict. Yeah, as we, my grandpa you know. was in the Navy. They never saw it. Yeah. But the idea and the fear that exists of coming uh, you know, across uh, an enemy ship. I really love to uh, Styles at one point says, you know, we should we should stay on security alert. There could be a spot. You know, there could be a problem. And initially, Kirk wants to dismiss him. But then Sulu pipes in and goes, you know what? He might be right. And Kirk very wisely is listening to his two lieutenants here going, you know what? Yeah, you're right. There could be. Even if he doubts it, he's like, you know what? No, I trust my crew. They've got this feeling. It's possible. And so they stay at security alert. You know, I, 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 those those moments there, that tension that is built and that doubt that exists within the characters 
is so good in this. And we never see Styles again. We never hear from him again. But he becomes such a resounding character in this, you know, in this 50 minutes. It's 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 awesome. I will I will never forget Styles. Styles is such a reflection of both what we shouldn't be and yet what we are. Well, and it's also it's funny the it's a Styles to me is the denial of what Roddenberry later did with the shows, which is saying no, we've really figured all this stuff out. We're yeah. really, we've gotten rid of racism, we've gotten rid of all these human qualities, and we've really perfected so much more of our society. And Styles and Balance of Terror is like that's not what that is. He's no, this is just like us. You have a family whose family members were killed by Romulans, and therefore you have prejudice against them and. The implication is not that Styles is unique in the Federation. The implication is there are probably a lot of guys like Styles around the Federation. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's this is amazing. And then uh, I want to talk a little bit about this this relation this relationship that we see set up and destroyed right in front of us. I mean, we're supposed to start with a wedding, right? This is a happy, wonderful thing, and right off the bat. That is that is you know delayed delayed. I'm still gonna marry you, Mister. Like there's there's such a um, a sense of hope, and yet when you go through this, the hope gets dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And then, you know, in a courageous sacrifice, you know, uh, we lose our our groom, and it's like whoa, we didn't even know them, and yet we're like, damn. And we see his his bride sitting there in the chapel holding on to Kirk. And Kirk knows what's happened. And Kirk can't say anything. Kirk can't do anything. And the only thing he can do in the end is let go, walk down the hall, and continue his duty. How tormented are these people who, who during this time have had to serve and, you know, having to keep a, a, a balance there? We talk about it's balance of terror. Kirk is definitely having to balance things. I would say through this whole thing, Kirk keeps a very good control, never loses control once. But I can only imagine internally the things he's having to balance and the responsibility he has. I've got to prevent war. I, I, I've got to stop these guys. I've got to save lives. I've got like, he's got so much on his plate. This title is so apt for that. I, I love it. Um, Brennan, you want to jump in? Cause I feel like I just did a big speech. I don't want to. <laughs> well, it, it's funny. The, um, the, the, the fact that Kirk is, and I think enterprise incidents has really helped me to understand who Kirk is. Kirk is the kind of guy that lives a very unenviable existence. I wouldn't want to be Kirk. Because everything that he has to carry on his shoulders um, is very taxing. And I think um, certain episodes like a mock um, not a lot time, um, the naked time and other episodes reveal that Kirk knows that 
as a Starfleet captain, with all the responsibility, he is not going to be able to live a, you know, settle down and what does he say in the naked time? No beach to walk on. The idea that Kirk um, cannot find happiness except on the bridge. And even then, his search for happiness is hard to find because. As the captain, he's got to deal with, you know, the death of crew members. In this case, the death of the um, Tomlinson, I think, mm-hmm. and the the responsibility of having no words to comfort the bride. Other than it never gets easier. I think it's what he says. Um, That's, I mean, talk about responsibility. And talk about a great analysis of the character and the idea that both captains are men of honor who have to carry a lot of weight on their shoulders. The responsibility gets to them. So they are one of the kind. Or not one of the kind, but uh, two of the uh, cuts from the same cloth. Mm-hmm. And I liked that the episode establishes that connection between them. And I think it does it very well. I, I couldn't agree more about Kirk. Uh, the, the, I even go like, I, I don't know that his life is about happiness. You know, we spend so much time in our current society talking about, are you fulfilled? And, you know, and, and how, you know, are you seeking your own bliss? And I think those are great things. And I think we've kind of come a long way psychologically in one sense, but this is a sh- TV show that was created by people who came out of the World War II generation. And there is so much of a sense of what is your duty? And I don't, you know, it's like, I think Kirk has chosen, I'm going to do what's right and sacrifice my own personal happiness. I'm just not going to have that. So A, I think it's significant that we're starting with a wedding. You know, we're starting with this thing that Kirk has denied himself. And in the end, it's denied to the people trying to get married. And I, and I think it's really interesting, too, because this is answering the question of, you know, during World War II, the soldiers, which were all almost men, went away to fight and the women stayed home and had to be scared about getting that telegram saying that they had lost a loved one. Oh yeah. And what Roddenberry decided is like, no, no, there are men and women on this ship. Well, that if there are men and women on the ship, well, that means that they could get married. It isn't that great. And then by the end of the episode, you show the flip side of that. Um, I also think just the way that all of those pieces fit together, you know, later on in Star Trek and in general, in a lot of TV, you, you have the idea of the A story and the B story. So you'll have the main conflict, which is usually the more adventurous side, the life and death side, and then you'll have a subplot. So you'll have, you know, 
Waxana Troy is on board and Deanna has to deal with that while we're doing this other thing. And frequently oh, yes. in the later shows, they might be a great A story and a great B story, but they don't necessarily have that much connected. They don't this, mesh. Yeah. They don't mesh. Whereas in this show, you have the racism, you have the wedding, you have uh, subplots going on on the Romulan ship in terms of the more rebellious crew member who has a different worldview than the commander, the relationship with the commander and the Praetor, I think is what the, or the Centurion, whatever he is. The Centurion. The older, Centurion, the older guy. All of those things are contributing to the whole. They're not separate from the, the main story. They're part of the main story. Mm -hmm. And so they, and they all push this theme forward. And I want to go back just to Brennan, what you were saying about Kirk, the scene in the quarters with McCoy, where you see the pressure on Kirk. He makes yep. every great decision along the way. Always seems like he's totally in command, absolutely sure of what he should do, which is what a good leader does. And then you see the human side when he's alone with his doctor, with his friend, and you it, see the doubts. It reminds me of In the Cage, yeah. Captain Pike and Dr. Mm -hmm. uh, Boyce. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that, that to me is where, you, you know, you see all that pressure is that, and this is the thing, and having, you know, not to compare directing a movie to being in a military situation. I'm not trying to make that comparison at all. Uh -huh. but what I will say is that you have a thousand decisions to make in a day, and there actually isn't a book that tells you which the right one is. A lot of times, you don't know. You're taking your best shot at that moment based on the information you have at hand, and you hope that it's going to work out well. Kirk doesn't know that every one of his decisions are going to work out well. He's taking his best shot, and it very well could have been the end of the Enterprise and even the start of a huge war that would kill hundreds of millions of people. He doesn't know. True. Yeah. I, I mean, this is definitely a, a character moment, and we see, we get to really see Kirk and the Romulan commander, their their tact and, and tactical knowledge put to use in such a good way and these guys playing chess back and forth uh and it's it's just such a great experience to to view that uh because many of us most of us are never going to see a military commander get to do that we have fiction and that's kind of how we get to live through it kirk does such a good job here uh this this right here is 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 a great reason why kirk is in charge this is why kirk's a captain absolutely and uh, Kirk is more intelligent, <laughs> intelligent than we give him credit for. Mm -hmm. Bless you, bless you, Steve. There are some minor things too that I love. Um, I absolutely love the cinematography in this episode. Oh yes, yes. I I love it. I, normally, I'm not a fan of of the um, the eye. I, I I've never known what to call it, but the eye effect where they just light up the eyes. Never been much of a fan for that, but with the tension that's building. Do you mean where you see like a little reflection, like a little sparkle in someone's eye? No, it's kind of like when they close up on Kirk. Oh, there's an, ex kind of, oh, an extreme yeah. close up. Yeah, extreme yeah, close -up. but yeah, uh, yeah it, it looks Very like, like everything else is darkened, and all you've got is kind of like light in the eyes. Um, they do that a lot here when you when you look at Kirk and and as he's watching this view screen and thinking and pondering. It really fits here because then you get to focus on his eyes. You get to really watch his thinking process. And this is how good an actor Shatner is. That he doesn't have to say anything. 
you could see with the music and him reacting. And there's really not even any music when he's acting. The guy is really playing to and understands the tension that's going on here. This is a masterclass in acting from, from Bill Shatner. Agreed. Totally agree. And the cinematography helps to accentuate that. And I, I really love it. Uh, there's, so, there's so much great Star Trek coming after this. Mm. But this, the particular tone of this particular episode, I wish they did more of. Like the tone shifts. I think the closest in a weird way is City on the Edge of Forever because it has that intensity of this episode yeah. and all of those thematic linkages. You know, there's so many great episodes coming, but this the, the this is the most military. This is the most study of Kirk as a leader. This is the most kind of intense and difficult and restrained in a lot of ways for Shatner. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, there, there's a lot here I wish we could have seen more of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, and I love that it all takes place right there on the Enterprise. We're focused. We're in the moment. We're there. And I, I, I adore that. I Now, I, I want to ask you a few questions here. Maybe you can fill in some gaps for me. And it could just be due to its production and time and what have you. When they fire the phasers, why does it look like they're launching photon torpedoes, but they say they're firing the phasers? Because they hadn't figured it out yet. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little thing, but I, I asked myself that question as I was watching. Like, they said fire phasers. I'm like, why does that look like torpedoes? Yeah. They just hadn't figured stuff out. And it's funny. I know because we talked to the one of the guys that did some of the remastered special effects. Yeah. And they had the choice of, well, they did this wrong should we remaster it by putting a phaser effect in instead of the photon torpedoes? And they went, no, we have to stay true to what the show was. You know, it's the same in uh, Where No Man Has Gone Before, where they could have corrected James R. Kirk into James T. Kirk on the gravestone, but they chose to leave the R in because that was what was in the show. Was there, yeah. Yeah, it's just one of those little things, but it, it does, I mean, what they show is so effective, especially when you, you're comparing it to submarine warfare and the idea of depth charges and yep. how they handled that. I love that. It's just, as a fan, I'm like, wait a second, they said phasers. You know, it's just, it's one of those fan things, you know, that you see through time, but uh, otherwise it, it plays out so well. Um, I think this is the first and only time we also see the phaser control room. Uh, I think that it is. Yes. You know, that was a, that was a neat thing too, because yeah. I'm, I'm used to just fire phasers, press a button and you fire. There's a process to this. And it's like, yeah. like a submarine, a submarine, you can't just press a button, launch torpedo. You got to call the torpedo room, load the torpedo bays. We got, you know, there's a process. It's not just automated. And yeah. So I, goes into that. I mean, they were definitely trying to reconstruct sort of the submarine, way of doing things and mm -hmm. have those chain of orders. And I think it's also in the early days of Star Trek, they had money for extras and to light up other sets. And <laughs> later on, they had fewer and fewer extras. And, you know, in the end, for me, it's like having a three-step process rather than just having Chekhov hit the phasers button. It's like, okay, maybe we didn't need all that, but it works great in Balance of Terror. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. And sad thing, this is the last appearance until motion picture of Grace Lee Whitney. Yeah, it's is this uh, the last one. Well, yeah, this is the last one until motion picture. It's it's interesting because one of the choices we made in in Enterprise Incidents is to go in production order rather than in release order. Mm -hmm. So it isn't the last episode she shot, but it's right. the last episode she's in that aired. Right. And it's 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 too bad because having you know done our rewatch, I went. 
there's so much good stuff with her and she mm-hmm. does a really good job and what they're developing in terms of the relationship i think really works and i think the show is better after that, uh, that they made the right choice i like yes. it when the enterprise is fleeing that romulan plasma bolt that uh ran inches closer to captain kirk yep and then rests her chin mm-hmm. on his shoulder That's a sweet moment, it really is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's real clear that if, if they were suddenly transported somewhere else and he wasn't the captain anymore, that that would be a relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This is, I, I tell you too, I, I, I really love, and it was a quick moment, but I enjoyed it thoroughly, having Uhura take, take uh, 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 the, uh, the controls. Mm, yeah, she, take, you know, she okay. transfers power to to the front and and then moves over and gets in the driver's seat. And you know what? I love that. I'm a big fan, and I say it all the time. I hate when they give Ohura nothing to do. This is a small thing, but it's huge. Yeah, and I love yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, because you're right. They didn't give Ohura that much, particularly in the first season. Mm. Like there's so much. There there are moments near the end of the first season where you can see her say. Hailing frequencies open, Captain. You know, it's like I, you know, I mean to say the same line over and over and over again. So yeah, I agree with you. This is a great moment, and you understand why that she, why she had reservations Mm -hmm. about returning to the show. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then I, I think one of the greatest moments in this that is so understated, but it's like, why did any of it matter? Is they finished everything. And then they get a communication from Starfleet saying, we're behind you 100% after everything has gone down. It's like, why did that even matter? Crazy, right? I I just, I love that kind of poignancy and really hits to the, what's the point of war kind of, kind of conversation too. Like, what was the point? You, you, everything's done now. What, What good are you doing communicating this back to me? You know, after we lost a man, we lost a man. Actually, I think they lost more than that, but that was the named yeah, one. There were like twenty-two casualties. Yeah. Well, that just means—I think that just means wounded. wounded. Casualties can just mean wounded. But, uh, radiation burns, apparently. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But well, yeah, he was the main one that that I know we lost, and you know, it's just—it's it, crazy, and I, I love just this is so good. Was there anything in this episode, Steve, that that at all you went? You know, I don't—I don't think they should have done that. No, I think that I really think this is. I can't think of a single flaw, top to bottom. The only, the only weird moment, and it's totally minor, is there's a weird moment where there's a book on the table in the briefing room, and Spock like slides it across, or Kirk slides it to Spock, and then Spock goes, "I don't have to look at that," and slides it back. And it's, and it's very, it's a very odd moment. That is the only nit I can pick with this episode, and I, I just think it's odd. I don't think it's bad. The rest of the episode, top to bottom, I think it's incredibly well done. I, I agree. Yeah. Brennan? Well, to see a resolution of Styles and Mr. Spock's antagonism, we see we see Spock sort of save Styles from when that uh, I don't know what it is, that thing that starts 
like leaking in the phaser room. The phaser coolant. But it would have been interesting to see uh, Spile say something. The spark is to come out. Like, so what? What would you want from Styles? Sort of, um, it's even a nod of acknowledgement. Like, give him kind of a thank you, Mister Fuck. And then just leave it at that kind of thing. Do you think that Styles is changed by by that incident? It's mm. a good question. I think that Spock saving him might have, in some slight way, made him trust Spock a little more. Um, but as far as changing his prejudices, I, I don't. I don't know. I don't think so. I think. I think his feelings of Spock are negate. Are are, are you know because. We have nothing to believe that he didn't respect and trust Spock before. The only thing that set that off was the tension and the fact that the Romulans look like the Vulcans or the Vulcans look like the Romulans, whatever way you want to put it. And so I think Spock saving him merely reiterates that fact that, hey, I'm not the enemy, I'm Spock. And Spock doesn't expect to thank you back. That's not logical. That's true. true. And so we'll be fine. I don't think it changes him. He respects Spock. I think it puts him back where he was. I'm not entirely sure that it would change his opinions by the about the Romulans, especially with his family history with the Romulans. It doesn't change anything. Yeah, so I don't think he. Should. I don't think he would be changed. I think the way story structure works in movies and TV is that when you see a change, it means everything's changed. You know, is that someone? Oh yeah, that's true. It, admits their problem, and now they're not going to be an alcoholic anymore because the movie ended. You know, like that's that's very that's how we think of story structure. It goes back to Aristotle and the idea of the cathartic moment that we see through tragedy. The poetics, yeah, yeah, and then we move forward. And so I think there's an implication that styles has changed, but but I actually totally agree with you. I think his attitude towards Spock has changed. I think he goes. I was wrong about St- Spock. I was being a dick. Spock clearly was on our side. I was wrong about that. Yeah, that doesn't mean sure. he changes about the Romulans. And, no, I'll, and, no, I'll, no. and I'll tell you about an experience that I've had uh, doing Enterprise incidents, which is, as we've done the show, one of the, th- th- there's a lot of episodes, this being one of them, that have, I think, deep things to say about our world today. And one of the basic themes of Star Trek is if you look at that creature that monster that culture that you thought was the enemy if you look closer you're going to discover they're more like us and that their motivations aren't evil they're motivated by other things you know whether it's devil in the dark or metamorphosis or whichever episode or Aaron of mercy you know that's a theme of star trek and it's what i've been talking about a lot as we've done the show and one of the things i've also discovered that is that i think that i've realized that oh part of what makes the original series great is that it actually has both conservative and what we would call liberal themes today that that is both a conservative and a liberal show and as i've talked about that and talked about ways that we need to look at those people that we think of as enemies because we live in a very contentious time 
is that we need to learn those lessons of Star Trek. No, they're not actually evil. Those people, whether it's conservative or liberal, whether it's, you know, people in other countries, whichever ones they are, that we actually got to look at them and see them as a human being and take those lessons from Star Trek and strive to find compassion and things like that. And I will tell you, throughout doing the show, I have gotten more pushback from both sides, being very angry with me, saying essentially, how can you trust them? They are the bad guys. Whichever side, not this is not that I got this from conservatives or I got this from liberals. I got this from both sides. Uh. And it made me so sad because it was just like, oh, you've missed the point. You know, like when we did um, when we did uh, the Klingon one that just Day of the Dove. And, yeah. the, and I argued really strongly, like we need to look at that side that we think of as the enemy and go and find a way to listen to them and find a way to make peace. And I got long, long messages saying, yeah, but they're bad guys. You can't trust them. And I'm like, Kirk made peace with the Klingons. Like people who have killed thousands and thousands, millions of people he made peace with. And you're saying you can't look at someone who has a different political point of view and see them as human. But yeah, no, I got pushback from both sides a lot. So I don't think Styles learns this lesson because I think these lessons are really hard to learn. Mm -hmm. It's a good point. Yeah, and this this won't be the last time that Star Trek deals with bigotry. This is the last time the original series deals with it. Obviously, we get it with the Klingons uh, later with Kirk and his feelings about the Klingons, which is so ironic to me, but again, shows that these characters are human. They are not perfect. They can change. And you know what? You could be totally in the right before and change for the worse. It can happen. You could be in the worst and change for the better. That's what I think is so enduring about Star Trek is that even though it's supposed to depict this utopia, it does such a good job of giving us a reminder of who we are, but where we can be. And I, I, I adore it. Absolutely. I think this one in terms of this and, and the one with uh, Frank Gorshin in it uh, with the, let that be your last yeah, battle theme. Yeah, good, let yeah. that be. That that is another one. I was a little more in your face about it, but it's uh, an incredible episode. Yeah, another really good one. But it, again, I remember these two episodes for that as well. Uh, and and they do such a good job of dealing with race and how we handle that. And uh, it's it, this is this is amazing. This is an amazing piece. Uh, and of course, it connects. This this is this is Star Trek Legends here. Uh, because this connects to the greater Star Trek universe regular, of course, being the first introduction of the Romulans, first mention of Remus, cloaking devices, Romulan bird of prey. A lot of the things that we get with the Romulans, we get here for the first time. Uh, this, of course, leads to the pseudo spinoff retelling in Strange New Worlds. That's right. Yes. Uh, which, uh, surprise, surprise, our, our uh, randomizer is kind enough. In a few weeks, we will be reviewing that episode. Oh. So we do get to make that comparison. Nice. Uh, and, and when I saw that that episode, by the way, I'll say it now, I wasn't expecting us to go to Balance of Terror. And we did. And I was so happy that it did. Uh, go ahead, Steve. It's funny. Uh, when I watched it, uh, I fell asleep in the <laughs> beginning when I was trying to watch it. And then I started it sort of where I left off. And... So I didn't quite get what was happening. And then I went back to the beginning 
and watched the parts that I had obviously slept through. And I think that episode is so cool. It's so funny because it's pretty divisive, it seems like. There's some Star Trek fans who went, how dare you? How dare you mess around with Balance of Terror? I loved it. I thought it was a yeah, great expansion of the idea. Yeah. Only thing I didn't like was I don't like the casting of the guy that got to play Kirk. I do, you know, no offense to the actor. Okay. I'm sure he's a really good actor. Those are, those are big, yeah, big shoes to fill. And he just didn't have the Kirk stuff, man. You got to have a lot of charisma to, to, to be able to shatter. And Chris Pine does a great job, but this guy, didn't. we'll see yeah. what happens with this guy. We will find out more this season. We know that in the second season, he's going to be a bigger part. We'll see what happens. Uh, but we only had one episode, so I'll I'll give it that much. We'll, we'll see where it goes. But we'll review that episode in a few weeks. But it is uh, very you know paramount that they refer, referred back to this. Uh, and, and of course, uh, the first appearance of Mark Leonard. I mean, that, that mm-hmm. in of itself is worth celebrating. And as I said, the last episode with Grace Lee Whitney, uh, which makes me sad because I think Grace had a lot more potential to give. We just yeah. didn't give enough time. Uh, but uh, Brennan, any, anything else? Any other connections you can you can uh, point out for us? Well, the wedding, um, Picard almost says the exact same words mm-hmm. in the fourth season of Next Gen. Mm-hmm. The episode "The Wounded," where Miles O'Brien. Oh wait, no, no, wrong. Day to stay. Day to stay. Data's day. There we go. Right, sorry, I'm getting over being sick. My brain's still fuzzy. Um, but yeah, Data's day. The um, marriage of Miles O'Brien and uh, Keiko Isikawa. Mm-hmm. Which is which, good stuff. So that, mm-hmm. that was cool to see that. Um, also, just the idea of understanding who the Romulans are, mm-hmm. that they are Vulcans who rejected Strax teachings of logic. Mm-hmm. And they have a very Romanesque uh, quality, which I think is really cool. Mm-hmm. Here's a question for you. So if the Romulans and the Vulcans are the same species, just mm-hmm. separated by different cultures, mm-hmm. how much of the Vulcans intelligence is genetic and how much comes culturally in the way they are raised? In other words, do the Romulans, even though they aren't raised in the culture of logic in the way that Vulcans are, have the same intellectual horsepower that Vulcans have? I okay. I've never viewed the Vulcans to be genetically more intelligent than humans. Strength-wise, absolutely. There's no doubt about that. We've shown that. Sure. That is a genetic level. I believe that their inherent view of logic has allowed them to merely tap into more potential for knowledge than someone who is more driven by emotion. I think someone that is driven by emotion allows other factors to play into their decision-making. Yet, if you can be solely logical, that allows an avenue of learning and knowledge that you may not have before. But of course, as we know, that's that's the fight here. Part of what be is being human 
is embracing emotion. Emotion is not a weakness to us. But the Vulcans, I think, have really proven that through logic, they can do some pretty academic things. And I, I don't begrudge them of that. Yeah, I think I think I agree. I think it's uh, that the Romulans being more warlike uh, and um, get, get the new emotions, I should say, are not as devoted to intellectual disciplines as much as the Vulcans like to do or are asked to do. Um, I think this is, again, this goes to the idea of, of how they handle things later on. I think later on it becomes much more genetic. People are like this because they're genetically predisposed to be like this. Right. And I, th and I think the, the choice of it's cultural is more interesting because it plays more into our prejudices about other groups of people because we all think things about race or countries of origin that allows us to go oh, this people is like that, this people is like that, this people like that. That's and all true. of that, and for humans, all of that stuff is cultural. There are no significant, you know, genetic differences that predict personality. That's, that's just not true. And so by making it more cultural, we make it uh, more relatable in terms of human. If we make it more genetic, I think we'd like make it less relatable. That's my opinion. Yeah, no, I agree there couple of other minor connections too before we move on to our final segment um also they make reference to the romulan war now we haven't had much going on in terms of oh what happened during this romulan war however enterprise touched on what potentially may have been the beginnings of a romulan war uh in its fourth season when we interacted with uh the romulans and their uh holographic uh cloaked slash cloaked ship uh, where they were trying to start a war between some of the other factions in the Alpha Quadrant. Uh, so th that may have been kind of that pre precursor to that war uh, that actually was confirmed in Star Trek Beyond. We know there was a Romulan War uh, because Kroll and his men fought as Makos during the Romulan Wars. So we know they went on shortly after the time of Archer, somewhere in that range. Uh, but that obviously this is that first reference of the Romulan Wars. I have no memory of Enterprise at all. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't I don't have any comment on that. But I certainly think it's an interesting era to tell stories in. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I, I yeah, want to they, they had planned. It's Enterprise had not been canceled. <laughs> the Earth Romulan War in season five. Of course, that but, would have put the whole, uh, they used primitive ships with nuclear power. That would have put yeah, that in shape. Yeah, that would have been a little. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the other things that I really love, uh, it's beta canon, but I still adore it. Uh, the novel The Return, written by William Shatner, uh, talks about the resurrection of the body of, of, uh, of, of Captain Kirk right after the... Uh, uh, was it Viridian four or Viridian three? Uh, the um, anyway, after the events of ge uh, generations um, and it was uh, in that uh, story was set up by the granddaughter of the Rom of basically Mark Leonard's character. 
the granddaughter wanted revenge on the Federation oh, and went after, wanted to go after Picard using the body, resurrected body of Kirk. And so she created a Borg alliance with the Romulans uh, to, to seek that revenge. And I kind of like that story. It's crazy, bat nuts, but I like it. <laughs> um, I, I believe that I even read that book and I like it too. I think it's good. It's but, it is everybody wrong. It's back crazy, but I like it. <laughs> indeed, it is. It's very, very kind of fan. Uh, it, it, it's very fan fiction to me. But uh, hey, at least uh, uh, William Shatner is not that bad a writer. So we'll yeah, go with true. It. <laughs> uh, favorite, uh, favorite moment, favorite quote. Oh boy. Hmm. I mean, the, the where Brandon started in another reality, I could have called you friend. is real yeah. tough to beat. That's good. Um, I also love every single thing where Kirk and the Romulan commander admire the other one. I won't underestimate him again. You know, those moments, yes. because they are the same. They're equally matched. I, and I think that was very influential on me in terms of my own writing and some stories that I've written of that idea of because and and this is the thing that i really love and that some star trek gets really well and some doesn't is you understand every move that they make like tactically and why it's cool that each one is trying this thing or that thing yeah i love what mccoy says and it really kind of sums up this legend of kirk in this galaxy there's a mathematical probability of three million earth type planets and in all the universe three million galaxies like this one and in all of that and perhaps more only one of each of us don't destroy the one named kirk tough to beat it, it's a good one i mean i think i have to agree with steve on this one about in another reality i could have called you friend mm -hmm. it's a great moment mm -hmm. yes or how about the honorable move by the Romulan? Uh, uh, we're we are creatures of duty, Captain. I finally lived my li I've lived my life by it. Just one more duty to perform. Yep, a good one. And sad, and really sad. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that is—is is that not so different from the Romulans we get the rest of Star Trek? Romulans gen generally are treated as devious, as the enemy. This guy showed honor. This guy showed loyalty as as a military commander, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and and you know, he admitted defeat at that point. We were wrong, and his duty was to destroy the vessel so no enemy could have have that. But I think more than that, if they had made it back, they probably would have been killed. Based on what we know about Romulans later on, he followed his duty as a Romulan commander. He fought to the death. He did his mission. And and let's think about it. His mission was a success. He proved the viability of that weapon. I want to know more about this weapon because, as I said in the in some of the Star Trek video games, when you play as a Romulan in in that era, you can fire the plasma bolt. You could do that. So I want to know more about this weapon. That's a you know pretty cool thing that we never see again. So a couple things. The first one is I don't know why we're not at war with the Romulans after this. Because they did sneak attack Federation bases. Yeah, I mean, they, we, and we didn't prove it. So that was clearly an act of war. The The second thing is, is they 
culturally stole a lot, obviously, from Roman rankings and Roman ideas, but there's also a very Japanese thing here. Uh, in particular, you know, in World War II, part of the reason that American POWs were treated so badly by the Japanese is they didn't have a tradition of surrender and treating prisoners well. Surrender was a tremendous dishonor. They had a tradition of sacrificing your life rather than surrender, yep. which is definitely what we see yep. from the Romulan commander at the end of this episode. Absolutely true. Yeah, they would rather die to their emperor in World War II than anything else. So. Yeah, first mention of the Praetor. They went with that too. Oh, uh, yes. The word yeah. of the Praetor and the leadership and kind of the hierarchy. I love it. Yeah, I, I developing this into a very Roman-esque Julius Caesar kind of way was so good. Was so good. And this is a development through time, of course, but this is the start of that. We get those ideas and that that mentality in there and Romulus and Remus, a little bit of that mythology in there. And I, I love it. I, I love the brilliance of using a lot of um Greek and Roman mythology and history into the stars. It's just it's so good. Well, and the other thing is that it's not a monolith, is that they don't treat it as if uh all romulans think the same thing what they show mm -hmm. is that there's conflict within the romulans the same way that there's conflict with us and that the there is a political there are political groups because this young officer is way more of a hothead and and way more believes in war and there's uh. different opinions and there's uh, and that represents that there's obviously politics and factions in the romulan society you know which i think is just great great writing Yes, the character of Decius was played by the same actor who played Stan in a book time. Lawrence Stan, Montaigne. Stan was the guy that the thing rejected Spock for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same actor. Yes, it is. Love that. And that was, you know what? That's a brilliant thing in costuming too, to save money. We're going to put those helmets on them so we don't have to do the ears for everybody. Yeah, yeah. Genius move. And it's iconic now. When I think of like, like a, a, a of this era, a, a Romulan soldier, I think of those helmets. It's a brilliant use in costuming, both on a money standpoint and iconic imagery. I love it. Yeah. Love it. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. Final thoughts in this episode. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll let you go first. So uh, Scott and I, we finished off doing the original series on Enterprise Incidents. We sat down to have a uh, conversation and rank our top 10 episodes of Star Trek, the original uh, yes. series. And I had never done that before. I'm not a ranking guy. I don't yeah. think about, you know, what's the best or not best. But from the beginning, there was no question in my mind what the top three episodes of the original series were. And I debated a little bit in my head. But finally, I settled on number three being Mirror Mirror. Number two being what is argued to be the Citizen Kane of Star Trek episodes, yeah. The City on the Edge of Forever. My number one favorite episode of the original series, which might make it my favorite episode of all of Star Trek, is Balance of Terror. Yeah, it's a good choice. Yeah, I said it to Brennan previously, and I stand by it. This is not only one of the best episodes in Star Trek history. This is one of the best episodes in television history, period. And I'll stand yeah. by it still. I would use this if I was a history teacher. I would use this. 
the same way that uh drumhead i would use in in teaching um uh the crucible or you know something like that like the the comparisons oh, interesting. Are, yeah yeah the comparisons are too good they're too good to miss uh and this this is is should be on anyone's list of television period even if you're not a star trek person watch this this is a master class in acting in tension in cinematography just everything as as steve said is and on point perfect doing it all in 50 minutes yes yep. i could have easily watched this for two hours i think you could have stretched out and and built the tension a little more i could have easily watched this as a two-hour movie agreed yeah i'm with you and uh this is my favorite episode of the original series and i have not yet decided what my favorite episode of all of star trek is this is a, is a good contender uh gene i believe gene roddenberry even said that this was one of his all-time favorites when I think he, 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 it was like 1991, he was talking about it and he, he listed this as one of his favorites. Nice. Surprises me a little bit, considering as we said, you know, his ideas of, of utopian society and everything. This was one of your favorites. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'll go with that. Yep. All right. Well, thank you so much, Steve, for coming in with us and talking about this episode and, your your views on Star Trek are always appreciated. Uh, why we gave you the Fleet Admiral rank, <laughs> <laughs> we do appreciate it. Um, Let's you know, I, I promote him to the CNC. The CNC is he going to be the president, or well, we already have a president? Well, it's, it's, yeah, Scott Vance is our president. Scott Vance is the president. That's right, deservedly <laughs> so. It's a fine president. <laughs> oh, I love it! I love it uh let's see well next week uh next week we move on to deep space nine we move to deep space nine. Oh, season seven episode seven once more unto the breach oh yeah yeah i, think, uh, I oh you don't I think i know i think i know this one Okay. Uh, and then the week after that, we return with our look at the movies where we take a look at what is considered one of the poorer entries into the Star Trek movie franchise, Insurrection, joined uh, by our good friend, Fifty Shades of Geek. Yes. Joining us talking about Insurrection, who, while we uh, might poo-poo a little bit, I've heard that Fifty Shades actually likes this film. That's good. I'm glad somebody does. <laughs> hey, I remember seeing this on hey, VHS. I do too. I like this movie too. <laughs> I I like it for different reasons, but they're not all good ones. <laughs> is Insurrection is that the one with um uh F Murray Abraham? Yep. It is. You got it is. It. There are things to like about it. Mm -hmm. I absolutely agree. And it is one of my top 10 worst Starfleet admirals ever. Mm. That's tough that's a tough competition. Uh, but it happens far more often than we'd like it to. <laughs> it's Starfleet. true. I, I don't want to be an admiral. I don't want to be an admiral. No, start. And here's the thing. Starfleet... Wait, but you made me an admiral. <laughs> Will you be the exception to the rule, Steve? I hope so. That's why he's the CNC now. We'll get him out of there. Yes, but didn't the CNC also commit conspiracy in Star Trek Six? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, not, that, not that Steve Lawrence would ever do such a thing. We have to rethink this. 
<laughs> with the Romulans too. <laughs> but again, thank you so much, Steve. Uh, uh of course, uh, where, where can the people find you, Steve? So if they want to follow me, the best place is on Twitter at SR Morris, as long as Twitter remains a thing. I'm also on Instagram at SR Morris one, but I'm pretty passive there. Uh, the cinephiles is our deep dive into movies. And right now we're doing a whole season of Tarantino. So we yes. did an episode breaking down just his whole career. And now we're moving into Reservoir Dogs and then we're doing Django Enterprise Incidents with Scott and Steve. We are now into the animated series. And if you want to see my work, there's The Assistance, which is on the Cinephiles YouTube page or on iTunes, which stars Joe Montaigne, Jane Seymour, and Stacey Keach. And my Great White Shark documentary, Great White Shark Beyond the Cage of Fear, is on Amazon Prime. I adore Stacey Keach. I am so happy you got him. Yeah. He's great. He's, he do. was a, one of the great moments for me of all time was when I had my first meeting with him and he showed up with my script dog-eared highlighted notes taken in all the margins on my writing and then we proceeded to talk about how much fun he had working with orson wells and john houston so i was introduced oh, to him from the show titus as titus's oh, sure. dad and yeah. then that stretched to wow stacy like you think of him in one way when you're young and you know and then you spread it out and you're whoa no but, he's yeah. great Yes. Uh, and I would be remiss, Brennan, to not recognize that today is also a very important day for us. Today we are recording on the 7th of February. And today, in honor of you, Brennan, well, not exactly in honor of you, but acknowledging the work mm -hmm. you do with the other star franchise, it is Star Wars Podcast Day. Uh, and this podcast mm. would not exist without going back to 1999 the very first Star Wars podcast, Jedi Talk. Uh, and we would not have a show like this if stuff like that did not start. Uh, and so a salute to Star Wars Podcast Day and to podcasters like our other host, Brennan, the Mystical Mar. Hey, Brennan, why don't you tell these people about your Star Wars podcast? Yes, you can find my podcast page, sure they were not, on YouTube and anywhere you get podcasts. And of course, there you will find Random Trek as well. And you can follow me on Twitter at Brennan Mystical and uh, at all the usual social groups I interact with. Awesome. And you can find me on Twitch and Twitter at C Ingle1984. Well, I will be taking on a playthrough of all the Halo games uh, for the first time. I, I've actually played Halos 1 and 2, but I've never played all of them. Uh, so I'm going to be taking uh. them in release order uh, and playing through them uh, and trying to beat them to 100% uh, completion. That's going to be a challenge. Uh, but it's going to be a lot of fun to do it. Uh, but as always, we thank you so much for joining us here on Random Trek every week. And we leave you with these parting words. Kapla! And live long and prosper. Peace and long life.